Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with... Wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. The Dave Damashek Football Program. Available on iTunes and at davedamashek.nfl.com. Now here's your host, Dave Damashek. Hi and hello, football fans. It's your old pal Dave, Dave Damashek. What's going down? I hope all's well wherever you are. Welcome to episode number 145 of the Dave Damashek Football Program. Available, as always, on iTunes and at nfl.com slash Sheck. S-H-E-K. There is much sports to discuss. The NFL draft, the NCAA tournament, NBA playoffs, NHL, Stanley Cup playoffs, so on and so forth. We're going to break it all down right now with seated to my immediate right. Well, 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 who is this fella? I barely recognize him. It's been so long. From around the league, one of the scribes over there, one of the stars of the debate club, can it be Mark Sessler, Mr. Fancy Pants? How are we, fella? Well, I'm great. You know, there's been a, a haunting void in my life. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's your absence from here in Studio 66. Exactly. So it's it's a joy to be back. I would like to say that your absence has sort of cast a pall or sort of haunted Studio 66 and brought the show down, but that would be lying. <laughs> we, we've moved along just fine without you. But That's it is a pleasure enough. to see you once again. It is a pleasure. Good to be back. I, I realize my absence probably only generated a rating spike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can live with that. It did. It did. Well, it, yeah, they, I think they call that addition by subtraction. Also, your pal from the debate club, a guy who has held the fort, as it were, here in your absence, Dan Hanzoos, how are we? Hey, how are you? I didn't even realize Mark was gone. So, really? Yeah. yeah. You Pal. didn't even notice that? No. It kind of liberated you in a way. Yeah. It just, I felt maybe it felt I was a little less suffocated, so maybe that's why. Mm-hmm. Maybe, yeah, I did realize it then. Okay. And Welcome lastly, let's <laughs> talk about faces we haven't seen very often since uh, since the Super Bowl in New Orleans ended. I have not seen nor heard or anything else from this character. I thought he went into a cave during the offseason, but here he is in Studio 66. Our pal from NFL Network and NFL.com, 
E.H., Elliot Harrison. How are we, fella? Hey, I'm great. I, you know, Dan didn't recognize Mark. I didn't recognize the building. I, I had to walk up. I was like, <laughs> is this my doctor's office? I was like, no, I had that checkup last year. I I couldn't figure out where I was. Boy, you let yourself go in the off season. Your hair's all to and fro. Not stylishly so. You don't have the, the, the hip gel. What do they call it? The mess your hair thing that the kids enjoy these the, days? The Murray's hair wax that you use or, or pomade? <laughs> I don't even get the reference, but I assume it's a dig, and I don't appreciate it. So, EH, how are we now that I'm we're good. in April? Have you been following other sports? No, I've been, actually I did, I watched one free throw of the national championship game. One free throw. Boy, Blue well you missed one, out. Right? Did anybody the, in here black tie behind the glass? You're a basketball guy. You must have watched the Michigan Louisville game, right? Haven't been a big fan of the college game this season. I watched like the last five minutes. Really? And a bit of the first half. No yeah. one in this room watched the game besides me. I don't watch the whole game. I watched the entire thing, as a matter of fact, and I watched it on DVR because that's the way you I watch lo- sports on DVR. It makes me parent of the year. All of us are parents of the year, <laughs> thanks to DVR. I've said it many times before. I'll say it again. Through good times and bad, my one friend who's always been there for me in my lifetime, TV. And now he has a new friend called DVR, and it makes me the parent of the year. <laughs> down the shack, down the shack. His best friend is his TV set. What yeah. Do, what do we just do? There we go there. Yes. <laughs> what, what do you have to say, EH? <laughs> it's a Spider-Man theme. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, <laughs> so I have someone staying with me right now, and they insisted that I watch Dallas. So I watched Dallas, the new Dallas, not the, the good TV one with Jr. with the, the late Jr. Yeah, the one where well, Larry Hagman just passed away. So I watched that in lieu of the national championship game. How ashamed am I? You should two be two hours of it. You back should be you should be embarrassed <laughs> about that. But boy, the thing for you is is uh, the great play by play hockey guy Mike Lang would say, "Shame on you for six weeks, everybody, if you miss this one because this was an all time gem. This game, a wonderful one, although marred for me." By a terrible non-call or a terrible call against Trey Burke of Michigan, cleanly blocks Peyton Siva of Louisville in a one-possession game, and then immediately following that, it goes from a three-point game to eight in the blink of an eye, and Michigan never got back into it. But that being said, a dandy game, like I say, all-timer. One thing I will say, because I did catch the final five minutes, and I saw on Twitter a lot of people were talking classic, especially at halftime. People seemed to be going mad about how great the game was. I was a little uh, bummed out by the last three minutes, and I think it keeps it from any type of classic. If if the Michigan player comes down with that rebound, rebound and his foot doesn't touch the baseline, yeah. then we might have a real ending. But then it ended up just being making your foul shots. I hear you completely that the game could have, you know, for it to be held up uh, 10 years from now and and be remembered as one of the great uh, title games or one of the great college basketball games that would have to have the iconic ending like Christian Leitner against uh, Kentucky, Rick Pitino's Kentucky, in fact. Um, But so it it lacked that. But the first half, I mean, it was the whole way. I mean, the, 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 the two kids trading threes, uh, you know, the uh, coming off the bench for the two sides drilling threes, neither one missing, and the and the acrobatics, and Louisville kept getting down, and Michigan looked like they were going to pull away, and then Louisville would make a run, and then Louisville made its run, and you figured, all right, Michigan's out of gas, and then Michigan gets back into it. Just a dandy game, but like I say, that uh, that uh, terrible call by the ref with what well, I don't remember how many how many minutes were left in the game but like I say it was a one possession game so um, so too bad and then Rick Patino announces that he is getting a tattoo to which I have uh, I have 
oh so hilariously said that he should get the tattoo on the spot on his body where Trey Burke fouled Peyton Siva, but of course (laughs) it would be invisible in that case. The other thing is, did you see right after the game when Patino goes to shake hands with Beeline (laughs) and there's what sounds like a gunshot or an explosion? Did you see that? Yeah, that was crazy. (laughs) I would have done the same thing, though, I got to say. I knew immediately as that happened, I said, oh, this is going to be overshadowed initially in social media with gifts of that, but come on, that that. That sounded like an explosion above his head. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, I thought maybe he's, uh, you know, maybe he's marred or he's emotionally scarred by what uh, he thought it was Kevin Ware's other leg or something <laughs> like that. Um, that was uh, that wasn't good. Don't shake your head at me, Black Tide. Did you watch it? So, what were your what were your thoughts about the game there, Mister Basketball? My thing was I don't in the see, five minutes you watched. Yeah, I don't see how the championship team, the number one team in the country, was void of. NBA talent. I mean, they have their center, Dang, whatever his name is. I know that but was he's cool. About, he's about twenty three already, so he's he probably might go in the first round of his height. But that team was void of any next level talent. It's like, what am I watching here? If I'm not watching, so that upset you? That upset? Yeah, it's, that's why I haven't paid attention to the college game this year. Just See, not enough talent. What? Black Tide is one of, he's an NBA snob. He's one so of those what? Guys. That's what's good about it. It's not a it's not a bunch of one and done kids winning it all. Hey, what are Black you talking Tide, about? To be. Hey, Michael Cage retired like ten years ago. It doesn't have to be like you oh. mentioned. You mentioned like Christian Leitner in those games. Like, yeah. At least those games, they, games had Grant Hill. That actual talent, legitimate talent that you can see in a couple of years will be doing big things on the world stage. And it's like this game had. I mean, Michigan has traded. That's what makes it right. great. The no, kid was over the kid for Louisville drilling the threes. Hancock's a walk on. He's a he doesn't miss a shot. What are you talking about? Eh, for me, for me, I'm I'm watching the game for that next level talent, and I didn't see any of it. <laughs> Black ties the guy. What, what are you a scout? Team. What, are you an NBA scout? What's the difference to you? It's a nice story. <laughs> Who wants all with college basketball has devolved exactly because it's all a bunch of one and done kids. The tournament is is largely about hey, what freshman who has been middling the whole the whole season long gets a hot hand and sort of turns a corner and can turn it on and make the difference for his team in March. That's basically what the tournament's reduced to. This was cool. This was a bunch of uh, not bunch of, but there are at least several key players on Louisville that were guys that were upperclassmen. Second rounders, most of them. So what? What, what, what? So what? What does that mean? It's, it's just not Why exciting. is that a shot? That's cool, isn't it? It's, it? It saddens me that in both leagues this year, both well, both major leagues I follow, that both drafts are a bit underwhelming. It's just, it's just Wait, what major leagues do you follow? <laughs> <laughs> well, the NFL and the NBA. It's just, you know, the NFL draft as well this year. It's, I mean, obviously guys are going to step up and play once the time comes, but heading into the draft, you just don't have those sexy headlines. Oh, that's right. I forgot. It's all about for you. It's about what's sexy with uh, with black tie. Well, in Dallas, before I fell asleep, oh, yes. the Ewing that had the mini truck mustache was really fighting to to save the family uh, company, and uh, it was pretty much no different than I've any episode of Dallas. I've actually seen this relaunch, and it is god awful. It's awful. I didn't realize it was even still afforded think- any space on television. Does, it, does Patrick Ewing? I mean Patrick Ewing. He's the one. He's the only one out there. <laughs> that's is, a, now. Now that could revive the, the, the franchise. Yeah, yeah, because of course you can't get J.R. Ewing. I was going to say maybe he's a ghost who haunts it, but that would be a, an editing nightmare trying to insert the ghost of right. Larry Hagman into. <laughs> but Patrick Ewing. Now we're cooking and he with can't gas get on the show. He I is. wanted. I wanted Major Healy. But they didn't uh, bring him back from my dream of genie. Yeah, because oh, in lieu of Larry from Hagman. my dream of genie, so I need <laughs> and lieu of Larry Hagman. I know it. I know that's that's his forgotten work. Patrick, yeah, he was Patrick his Ewing. great work. 
Patrick Ewing cannot get a head coaching job, so maybe he will be willing to switch over to TNT, <laughs> basic cable. Now, I mean, listen, this is an idea. I like, you know, I, I don't know, does it do well, this Dallas show? Does the new Dallas do well? These are the only two men below 50 that watch the program. I, so I, don't, I wouldn't say I could hit it. I've, I've seen it <laughs> I've once. Seen it, yeah. I've literally watched I literally, show. I'm not joking. I fell asleep. I literally. It's terrible. I never fall asleep I don't think any TNT original show does well. Just put it up. Patrick there. Ewing on Dallas. That would be though. interesting. We got to make this happen. <laughs> let's get let's get some big hitters in on this. Guys like uh, Sporty Simmons, guys like that who have juice in this business could probably pull <laughs> some we, strings and make we, it uh, so. CGI uh, Patrick Ewing's widow's peak back just for fun. Yes. All right. Good. We'll do it all. <laughs> let's do it. Um, by the way, it's the day after the the national championship game, aka how long ago was it that Syracuse won the title? A decade ago. I just would like to I would like to mention that this marks the anniversary of when many so-called experts, not everybody, but a lot of experts declared that if they had the first overall pick, the they would rather have ta- they would take Carmelo Anthony over LeBron James. Does everybody remember that? Remember when there was there was I'm not saying it was even 50-50, but there were definitely there was a decent percentage of people out there saying, "I you know, you got to go Carmelo over LeBron." Though, to be fair, Camar- Carmelo has turned into a star in his own right. So, but Wait, what year was that? Legend. 03? I think yeah. it was a decade yes. ago. Yeah, I think it was exactly a decade ago, right? Isn't that what yeah, Bayheim said? We get there once a year. <clears throat> I mean, get one, once a decade, we get to the Final Four. Hmm. Um, yeah, but I, I agree with you. Carmelo is good, but come on. I don't, <laughs> it's fair. Would have been, wonder if he would have stayed in Cleveland. That's the question. Would he have sta- signed with the Cavaliers when his deal came up? Uh. Dan's banging the table table for uh, Carmelo Anthony to the Cavaliers. I don't see it. Um, all right. Hey, we got Matt Hasselbeck, new of the Indianapolis Colts, coming up in a little bit. We'll kibitz with him. But before we do that, I'm sorry. We're ta- we started talking TV, and it's my way to finish a thought. I never jump all over the place. That's not my thing. I like to stay disciplined when the subject, whatever the subject at hand is, we stick to it. So on TV, Sunday night, big premiere, Mad Men, two hours. Many thought it was too long, and it is for a meditative sort of show. Maybe it was; it did feel a little bit long to me. But uh, of course, I was I was pleased to be back in the company of Draper and Company. How say you? Well, you know, for me, it was a fascination. I love the show mm-hmm. in general. I thought that they were so patient with the way they started. All the people griping about, oh, I didn't get to see the office until forty-five minutes in. What's wrong with you? I thought what they did in Hawaii was a perfect sort of dreamscape. I think the season's going to be very strange, and I love it. I mean, there were they shifted between like reality and fantasy throughout the throughout the entire episode. It's hard to make sense of what was real, and I think that Draper is spinning towards something very ugly. And I I'm completely a fan of what they've done with the first two hours. Isn't it interesting? It occurs to me, or in fact, this was a couple of years ago when I was watching The Sopranos and, and Mad Men simultaneously, and even to some degree Rick on on uh, the, the show that I now no longer will be watching anymore, Walking Dead, and so on and so forth. Isn't it an inter- interesting 21st century phenomenon on TV that, our lead, that, that the lead in TV shows now are almost always loathsome people. It's an interesting wrinkle that you're... I mean, Tony Soprano is a bad guy. He's a murderer and everything else, and so he's more easily uh, disliked, you would think. But you root for Tony Soprano. What a, Don Draper. Who is rooting against Don Draper? Almost no one. Even women. Well, maybe because he's a dreamboat. But, I, but for whatever reason, no one roots against these people. And yet, 
They're about as loathsome as it gets. True? I think so, and I think it's like probably from the writer's angle, the show creators, it's the great challenge of developing a, a character you empathize with when they are overtly so dastardly. Yeah, I agree. And to name another uh, protagonist that's kind of an antagonist, Walter White from Breaking Bad. Uh, but, ah, yes. Yeah, I think it's interesting that uh, you know you're following just and David Weiner, not David Weiner. What's his name? Uh, oh, also, I'm thinking of uh, Chickless. What was his uh, cop show? I never watched it, commish? but I know not the Commish. Oh, I'm the, not shield. About the Shield. The yes. Shield. <laughs> On the Shield, he is. Uh, he's also a flawed guy, right? I never watched that show. Yeah, Street Blues. Yeah, I guess Tony Soprano. I think he, he was like the archetype for this, but it's fun to watch this character. Where it's not going to have it's not going to have a happy ending necessarily, and we're getting to now watch the the come down for Don Draper slash Dick Whitman. Um, so you are a viewer of the show? Oh, I love Mad Men. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize. Yes. So what I you watched it twice th twice already. Did you really? Yes. All right. So what's your quick review of it then? No, I, I agree with Mark. I, I like that it's not in a rush to you know throw out any type of you know curveballs to the audience. It's kind of setting the stage. And kind of giving you more a feel of what you know what this vibe is, with Draper remaining in the past with his slick back hair and his no sideburns in the same suit, and everyone else moving on past him, and he's like stuck in the past, and it's all that's going. what he's doomed. That's what he's doomed to to be. I mean, the que the last season ends with the question: Are you alone? The woman comes up to him in the bar: Are you alone? Right. I think he will be left alone as the world moves past him. It's interesting. Um, and in fact, he is the uh, you talk about he's the personification of the of the man in charge, the white man in charge and the world will will uh, will speed by him by by the end of the show. It's interesting. But more importantly, Roger Ster Sterling's ex-wife right. remains the foxiest of all foxes. Right. Isn't it ironic is she, that, that that is perhaps the foxiest woman that we've seen on Mad Men. And Draper did not have her. He's the one. That's the one fox that he did not have. And but he said, "Do we take her over Draper's current wife?" But for me, I'd take Joan over all of them. Joan, I don't understand Joan. I never understand that one. Do you get the Joan thing? The red hair, Joan Holloway. You know who that is. You know the actress. Is that the Christina Hendricks? Christina Hendricks. Yeah, yeah she's pretty hot. But I, I didn't really watch Mad Men at all, at all, until we were doing a Thursday night game. I think it was Eagles Bengals. And I had my cell phone in between my leg and the the seat, and it vibrates. I'm like, who's who's calling me right now? I'm on, and Steve Weish, and Steve Weish says, "Dude, you're looking very madman, bro." That's <laughs> text, and I'm like, okay. So I look at my outfit. I, I didn't really know, and so I went and watched the show. Right. And uh, you know that so my that my knowledge doesn't go very deep. Well, but. talk about a guy being left in the past. This guy's watching logging episodes of Dallas. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> While Mad Men is unfolding before us. What about this though? What about the idea that the, that the ex-wife of Sterling, who we see at the uh, at the funeral, is foxier than all of them? You say no. You say I, you, I think I voice well, my opinion. Right. Hey, Zeus. Okay. Well, I know you're not a, a fan of the full-figured woman, so I know Dave's out on this. But I will say that to me, there are two women. First of all, going back to Roger Sterling's ex-wife, I thought she was better looking, and then she got married, and they did something to her, and she, she doesn't look as good Agreed. as she did Agreed. when she was the secretary in the office. I thought you you're right on that. Mm -hmm. uh, no, but she looked terrific though when we saw her again. We hadn't seen her in a year or so and she's not bad. pulled herself together. Draper's current wife, everyone wants to hate on the teeth, but listen, she's a beautiful woman and she's fine to me. Has All anyone right. seen uh Christina Hendricks real life husband? No. 
That's like Tom Brady signing with the Jags. Let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) See, he brings it back to football. He's a pro. All right. So, uh, by the way, a couple of things I have to mention quickly. It's uh, it's Mo Damashek, my mother. It's her birthday. So happy birthday to her. I'd like everybody to wish her a happy Happy birthday. 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 Matter of fact, black tie and everybody else here on the show, I'd like you all to sing her happy birthday. Ready? One, two, three, go. Happy Happy birthday birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Stop, stop, stop. Black tie, I don't see you singing. I am singing. What do you mean? We're going to start it again. Ready? One, two, three, go. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Mo Damashek. Happy birthday to you. Now that was beautiful. That sounds like the velvet teddy bear behind the glass. (laughs) (laughs) The velvet teddy bear. American Idol callback. Um, I see. That's the show that I'm not. uh, And you guys watch a lot of TV. (laughs) Who are you to walk in here, EH, and start? uh, Because it sounded condescending. If if it was complimentary, if your tone was everything, if you said like, "Wow, you guys watch a lot of TV," (laughs) then I would then. but but you're in. But you come in here. What do you do with yourself? You sit and watch old football games all the time. You know what it is? It's from texting too much. I've lost all tone. <laughs> Are you? Alone? What's the latest? Eh lives it. I think that uh, we should hail him for being a guy who actually lives the experience of being a diehard football fan. I know for a fact you sit there and watch games from the '80s. What's the most recent football game that you watched? The most recent game that I watched. Old NFL game. Well, random game. It's not. Okay. He doesn't go back and watch. He doesn't go back and watch the NFC title game from '81, Niners and Cowboys. Some <laughs> classic. He just watches random games that were played on October fourth, nineteen eighty four. He's kind of got me there, but uh, I was test driving cars and needed to make sure that I had a DVD player so I could listen to my old game. So I, of course, I had to bring a game with me to make sure. I brought the '86 NFC Championship Giants Redskins. Terrible game, seventeen to nothing. Yeah. Terrible yeah. game. Um, but you kind of had me because Sudsy Sedell, our researcher on uh, uh, NFL Fantasy Live, did send me the YouTube link to '84 Cowboys Eagles, just random game, and I watched it. Oh quick, man! Quick note: I watched that Giants Redskins game as a shattered child because it came only minutes after That's the right. drive. I went back. The one I watched fairly recently that was that was just uh, glorious stuff, and you can find it on YouTube. I'm pretty sure still is um, in 1980. The Vikings in the Met, the old Met, before when they played outdoors as they should in Minnesota. He, Tommy Kramer, in uh, the, the Vikings needed it to make the playoffs. The Cleveland Browns, the cardiac kids had, uh, kids had already secured the division crown in the AFC Central. So Sipe and company are playing out. The, but they still wanted to win the game. I think they needed it for seeding on some level. Um and so they're, fight, they're they're trying to stay in the game, and Tommy Kramer throws the Hail Mary that uh, deflects, and Ahmad Rashad catches uh-huh. it by the back end of the football and backs into the end zone. Awesome. But everything that precedes it is gangbusters, too. That's what I had forgotten about. Cleveland could have, Sam Ritigliano, the coach of Cleveland, could have tried. I think he was just trying to spin the clock a little bit, but he chose not to. And then they run a hook and ladder, the Vikings do, to get the ball in position to throw the Hail Mary. They run a hook and ladder to Darren Nelson that goes for like 40 yards that even gets him into position to do it. It was gangbusters. And that's a year before the famous Tony Nathan hook and ladder. They think the Dolphins Mm -hmm. originated that play or created that play, and they didn't. But 
I agree with that. Browns Vikings. I mean, the, those Browns teams, as you know, Mark, were so famous for winning games in the last minute. So the tables kind of got turned. And, and in those days, it was different. Teams actually played out the string. You didn't rest Brian Sipe because you had secured a playoff spot. Coaches thought back then you play your guys all the time. Even in the preseason, guys would play well into the third quarter because they thought that it would be, you know, they wanted to have a tune-up before the playoffs. And my favorite thing from that game uh, is that, that Bill Cower is downing punts for the Browns as a special teams linebacker. Wow, I missed that. That, that is – that is pure awesomeness. We got it. Listen, I've been talking about it. EH and I have talked about it many times. We have a lot of ideas when we kibitz. And this idea of watching these games together is just uh, that's the thing. That's the sh- that's a show. It us, is. But you get to see it, too. Is if You don't just listen to us talk about it, but you get to watch <laughs> the game with us. But, yeah, what, what a Mystery show. Mystery Science is. Theater. Yes, but it, but games. Here's the difference between Mystery Science Theater and then that show, um, Whatever it was called, the uh, the cheap seats cheap with the seats. with the with the twins who are funny guys, the Scalar brothers. The difference is this is actually compelling stuff. You're wa- you're not those guys are watching <laughs> things ironically, like ah look at the motocross for the one legged people, you know that the, like that went on in Peru <laughs> in 1977, and like they make jokes about it. But this is this is compelling stuff, source material. So. I think we got to do this. Now, this brings E.H., one of the great historians, NFL historians. I fancy myself a pretty decent one, too. And, in fact, we well, I, I've challenged him and others to a competition. We have to test and see who knows the most stuff about, about movies, TV. Here are the categories. Football, maybe sports in general. Sports, TV, movies, and music. Are those the four iron categories of knowledge? That makes sense for a 21st century man, a, a man of a yeah, certain TV, age. Music, TV, music, movies. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of this, though, that brings up. Oh, I should also shout out. That was going through a couple items. Neil Dutton and Dutton thirteen, one of our uh, favorite listeners, um, fan producer at this point. Yeah, he's a, really a producer on the show, and uh, he just uh, he just had a baby, or he didn't, but uh, his lady friend did. So kudos to Neil Dutton and, uh, and good for him. He hits me up on Twitter uh, sometimes. Yep. Good guy. Oh, yeah, wait, yeah a terrific. Lady, guy. A lady Neil? friend or a what is he? Friend? Irish or English or or Welsh? Um, uh, one of those three. He's one of those things, yeah. yeah. Um, but kudos to him no matter what, and we appreciate it. And I assume with his dedication that having a newborn will not uh, affect his ability to continue to listen to well, the show. Well, you know, it sucks because, you know me, him being being promoted to being a fan producer, I was thinking about taking a vacation so he could fill in. But now mm-hmm. he has a baby girl and I can't take a vacation, so. Um, no, <laughs> no, you're stuck. Life, life Real world issues. Yeah, we're gonna, we'll keep you here. So, all right, listen. Here's something we wanted to talk about, um, we, or we brought up about a month ago, and I think we now revisit it with EH here, one of the great minds, so we don't forget, so we don't let anything slip through the cracks here. QBs. I saw Sessler and Hanzoos, you two kibitzing back and forth about the QB situations of that, now, Hanzoos is a Jets guy, so now you have, here's your trio of QBs going into 2013. you got David Garrard, Mark Sanchez, you have Tebow and McElroy. I think the assumption is Tebow doesn't make it to training camp, right? Yeah, that could happen very soon, yeah. Does that still rank, I mean, that, that I mean, so you go Garrard, who hasn't played in two years, Mark Sanchez, who's played horrifically for the last two years, and Greg McElroy, who everybody concedes is at best a backup QB. That's a pretty bad trio of quarterbacks. Pretty even, uninspiring. Yes, even if Mark Sanchez isn't quite as bad as everyone says. Did the Jets... 
Well, no, he oh, is. He's, he's, he's merely bad. He's not, you know, woefully bad. No, no, no. He's terrible. 32 he, touchdowns, 2011 season. Nah. Guess what? I mean, come on. <laughs> he is He is in the bottom five quarterbacks. As I call it, it is the Sanchez Cliff. If you have, <laughs> if you have the Mendoza line in baseball under 200, and if you're beneath that, then you should be ashamed of yourself. If you are worse than Mark Sanchez, fall off the cliff. You do not belong in the NFL. Is that the worst trio of QBs going right now, though? Mark Sessler. Well, I think it is. I think they're going to draft someone, too. Because I know you're looking at me because of what Cleveland has going currently with Jason Campbell, Brandon Whedon, and essentially no one behind him. Whedon actually ranked out worse than Sanchez. Um, so you have to hang your hat on Jason Campbell, which is... He was a rookie! Well, what do you mean he ranked out I, worse? I'm just Sanchez saying was in his fourth season. Ideal I in facts. And, and Brandon Whedon, going into the season, you knew was on one of the worst teams in the league. The Jets, some people thought, might be decent. I told you that they would not be. I told you they would not make the playoffs. I said 6-10. and 10. And did I hit that on the head, even? I did. I hit you that did. one on the head. Yes. Yeah, I told you they were going to be a bum team. But, I mean, look, this is I, – I, the Browns right now, I like Whedon, actually. And um, in spite of the fact that you weren't here last week, Sessler, but Hanzoos and I discussed the fact – why, if you're the Browns, do you not go to the do you not go to call up Bill Belichick right now and say we'll give you Brandon Whedon and a second round pick for Ryan Mallett? Well, wait this ha- this was on the debate club, I believe. Oh, we talked about yeah, this. Yeah, on the debate I've, I've already bet large amounts um, put on the table with handsome Hank and Dan here that not money. No, it's a, a dinner and, and a, you know numerous cocktails that uh Mallet will be Cleveland's week 1 starting quarterback. Wow, that is a bold prediction. Yeah. So, th- what's the worst trio in Cleveland Browns history? Well, that's that's got to be that's got to be something. It was actually hard for me to pick because I think the current trio isn't even in the top 5 worst Cleveland's had. I look at year 2000. They had Couch who was spinning into disaster. Mm-hmm. Their backup was Doug Peterson. Who's now a quarterback coach, and I'm not sure why. Uh, they had. Isn't it ironic? A, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good sign when you're old, is when the terrible QBs of your youth become quarterback coaches or hitting coaches in baseball. <laughs> you see a lot of, you see a lot of uh, deficient hitters become hitting coaches. Same thing. Well, and they had Spurgeon win, who they took a couple picks before Tom Brady was taken by the Patriots. And by the end of that season, receiver Kevin Johnson was taking snaps. And not in a wildcat scenario. He was their quarterback. I like your pronunciation of wildcat. Not in a, I mean, not in a wildcat sort of <laughs> <laughs> So that was – I lived through that season. It was Christopher Walken rock has. bottom. bottom. <laughs> wildcat. <laughs> We're running this wildcat offense. Well, that was not a good impression, but that doesn't get in my way of doing impressions. Did I do my Rick for you yet? Well, I, I've turned, I mean, not Rick. I, I'm the, in on the Rick governor. For you. Yeah, the governor. I think it's a great impression. I think I can outdo you, Rick. Browns. My baby girl got stabbed through the eye by Michonne. I got my own people that I gotta shoot. I came That's around a good on impression. that one. Thank yeah. you. This is uh, Jerry Jones. Can't wait to get you out here to be a part of these Dallas Cowboys. Wow. <laughs> See, that's the best impression that we've heard maybe in Studio 66. Of course, that's Cincinnati Bengals cornerback Terrence Newman taking a pass at Jerry Jones. That was him reliving what Jerry said to him when he called him and drafted him a decade ago. We have another person who does a great Jerry Jones here. It's Elliot Harrison. Why don't you tell, let's see. Let's hear Terrence Newman one more time just to see what you're up against here. This is uh, Jerry Jones. Can't wait to get you out here to be a part of the Dallas Cowboys. 
Pretty good. <laughs> Pretty good. Let's hear yours. Uh, we, uh, uh, good morning to you. Uh, we, uh, looked at, uh, Terrence <laughs> I like, Newman. And, I like uh, interrupting himself like I've wear my manners. Uh, I, gotta, uh, I gotta say hello to you. We wanted to invite him down to, to uh, Cowboy Stadium with Sessler and his family to, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, get some signed jerseys from true Cowboys legends like, uh, Quincy Carter and, uh, Troy Hambrick. Uh, we're just charging uh, twenty-two fifty imports, fifteen fifty domestics, uh, <laughs> standard uh, Texas Stadium prices, and uh, uh, good morning to you. <laughs> You're pretty good. good. The, the little, the little uh, interruption, the self interruptions. That is a key well, detail with. And uh, I will say, as a man. as a sports blogger who has transcribed Jerry Jones, it's accurate because he he does put in those pauses that mm-hmm. makes it very easy for you to get his quotes. So good job by that. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's a pretty good one you have there. I, I solicited the opinion of uh, the Czech Republic out there. I did this a month ago, and I'm sad to admit that I'm stupid, and I, and I, and I lost all the ones that people tweeted me a month ago, or <laughs> they got too far down in the history or whatever, and I oh, couldn't that find stinks. them. Doesn't that stink yeah, when you have some real to... gems? But can I, before, I, I, oh, go ahead, I, go ahead. I just wanted to say, since you're a lifelong Steelers fan, and 84 is like in your wheelhouse, and you just mentioned the Browns, I think both the eighty four and the eighty four Steelers and Browns qualify for this list. Eighty four Browns starting quarterback Paul McDonald. Okay, he started all sixteen games. He only started twenty one games in his career. <laughs> so almost as the lion's share of his starts came in one year. Now this is the year that Brian Seip went to the USFL, and the year before Bernie. This is why they needed Bernie so bad. Right. Their backup quarterback was Steve Cox, who, oh, by the way, was a punter. Uh, and then their third starting quarter, or third quarterback was Tom Flick. Those are your 84 <laughs> Browns. And, then, of course, you know the, the 84 Steelers, they went to the AFC Championship game. Okay, where Terry Bradshaw had hurt his elbow, Dave, mm-hmm. wasn't it? it yep. He'd blown it out. Blew out uh, his elbow. Right. And so in 84, they made it this close to the Super Bowl with Mark Malone and David Woodley, and I believe Cliff Stout was the third stringer. I'll need to look the third stringer up, but he, that's no, horrible. No, in 84, Cliff Stout had abandoned the Steelers to Boy, go to the Birmingham Stallions. Stallions. Yes, you got it. And he came back to a three-quarters full three-river stadium on a spring day on the banks of the Three Rivers and was pelted by snowballs. <laughs> they did not approve of him ditching out on uh, the city of Pittsburgh when he had been groomed to take over. Remember... The, here's here's the temperature. I don't mean the the climate outside, but here is the temperature of Pittsburgh football fans at the time. Terry Bradshaw blows out his elbow in '83 in Shea Stadium, and Cliff Stout. People, you know, guys like my old man is a is a big one on this one. A Steelers fan, where he does not, where he can't reconcile why the Steelers didn't take Dan Marino, the local kid, local high school goes to Pitt. And you know he's sitting there at the at the spot where the Steelers could have taken him, and he still he still wrings his hand. Why didn't the Steelers draft him? Well, because as you know, and I'll tell you now for the for the nine hundred and seventy third time, they had Terry Bradshaw still, who they did not know was going to blow his elbow out. He was long in the tooth, but they also had Cliff Stout, who people thought was going to be good. Now it's laughable, and they had a third stringer in Mark Malone, who they'd used a first round draft pick on in nineteen eighty. So they had no reason to take Dan Marino. Instead, they took Gabe Rivera, who had a decent rookie season, but then uh, put himself through a windshield, uh, and and of course. Um, he's still around, but yeah, he, play, he, he never he never played again. So, anyhow, that's a, that's one of those things. So, but yes, no, the third. How about 1985? The Steelers go Mark Malone, David Woodley, and Scott Campbell. 
How did this team? How did that team make the playoffs in '84 at nine and seven, and then go even seven and nine with that trio of QBs? Awful. That's a remarkable Awful. testament to what else that team had. Who else you got? Sessler. What's the worst? Is this the worst Jets? I mean, uh, Hanzus. This is this the worst trio of Jets QBs? This that's is hard there. to beat. You can't. You can't beat this one. That's up there. I mean, the the one that always jumps out to me is the '92 team, which had a. Uh, that was Browning Nagel's one shot at it, and he went three and ten. And then the backup was a late period Ken O'Brien, who just couldn't <laughs> play at all at that point. I mean, uh, Jeff Blake was a third stringer, and they never gave him a shot. So. Wait a second, wait a second. That doesn't begin to compare with some of the junk that you guys ran out there in the eighties, right? You had well, you had Richard Todd. Well, and, he had t- well O'Brien had some nice years in the eighties as Elliot. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Did. Well, he okay, did. pre. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. Kenny so O'Brien. yeah, I'm thinking. I'm not thinking the mid eighties though. Namath, Namath gave way to Todd, who gave way to O'Brien, who gave way to Nagel. <laughs> That's not true, is it? Yeah. Richard yes. Todd took over directly from yeah. Joe Namath. Well, he had to. He had to fight it out with this guy Matt Robinson for a couple of years, but he did. Base essentially, he was the starter. Yes. He's really, right. and then no O'Brien. O'Brien's rookie year was Todd's uh, last year before going over to New Orleans, and yes, Nagel. I remember Nagel playing in '92. Yep, uh, threw for three sixty-five in the season the, opener against the Falcons. And why Falcons. is it? Why? Why does it make sense? What is the interesting coincidence that we'd we'd be talking about Brand, Browning Nagel today? <laughs> He's a coach. No, but there's a there's a connection with something we discussed earlier. Louisville. He went through Louisville. a windshield. Very nice, no. Elliot. Here. No. <laughs> well, maybe he did. God, that was terrible. Yeah, that is terrible. Shame on you, Hansus. That's uh, not our way. That's sorry. not our way. Um, all right, EH, lay it on us. Do you have any thoughts? Give us the all-time. Oh, well, while you, while you ruminate, let me just share a few of people who were kind enough to re- uh, tweet me to that's a great to track this one down. They didn't retweet you. They just use a hashtag DDFP. That's no, they, they did. did. No, these are these are recent. These are in the month of April uh, from 2013. I'm looking at them right now. Arn Grimson. Oh, did you find some old ones? Arn Grimson says the worst trio was uh, the Dolphins under Cam Cameron, Trent Green, John Beck, and Cleo Lemon. That's pretty bad. <laughs> that's, and you know who won their that's only Trent game? Green, that. You know who won their only game that year against the Ravens? Ronnie Brown. Cleo Lemon uh, on a pass to Greg Camarillo. Oh, right. Was it Monday night game or something like that? Yeah. No. It, it was wow, that is, that, is Trent yes. Green. that is Trent Green when he shouldn't have been playing anymore. And, in fact, he realized that early on, so he doesn't even really count. So that's not Trent Green at his best. <laughs> Trent Green. I walked his future bride down the aisle at a wedding once in the in the early 90s. <laughs> not so interesting <laughs> fact. Um John Beck and Cleo Lemon. Boy, that's a terrible one. Greg Gorski says the early 90s Patriots. I don't remember this, really. Tommy Hodson, <laughs> Hugh Millen, and Scott Zolak. I remember all three of those guys on the Patriots. I don't remember that that was their only three options, though. Is that right? That that was really Tommy Hodson of LSU, Hugh Millen of uh, where do you, uh, see, uh, of uh, Washington, Washington Huskies and Scott Zolak of I don't know. Is where. that the Dick McPherson era where they went like one? They had a couple terrible teams back then. Yeah, one in they, fifteen. Yeah, they were wretched. Yeah, I yeah. think Scott Zolak's from uh, from Pittsburgh, one of the few QBs that came from the banks of the Three Rivers that wasn't good. Worst QB trio: the '97 New York Giants, Dave Brown, Danny Cannell. And M. Cherry. Who's M. <laughs> Cherry? It says, it says at, at the very least, the worst trio for a playoff team. The 97 uh, Giants. Who is M. Cherry? I can't even place that. I don't remember him. Boy, that's a that's a lousy one, one though. S- one sleeper one is the 2008 Kansas City Chiefs. 
Whenever Tyler Thigpen is getting double-digit starts, it's a bad situation. And then he was backed up by uh, Damon Heward and Brody Croyle. Isn't somebody that's a that, that's a lousy one? Brody Croyle's one of those guys that was expected to turn the corner, but uh, Tyler Thigpen. I feel like there's at, at, even in 2013, there's going to be buzz out of some training camp somewhere in the NFL saying like. Tyler Thigpen is not a it could be a viable starter for us. <laughs> it seems like that's been going on for about well, a half dozen you know, years. He was now. one of the first quarterbacks in NFL history to run the uh, the pistol. Oh Back in yeah, four, three or four seasons ago with the Chiefs, they ran a little pistol. E H. I got to ask you this because that reminds me. And I, I, Sessler, you've been gone so long. I don't know if uh, if I've asked you this. I ask everybody this. Everybody. We had John Beeson on our last one. I encourage you to go and dig that one up. He was a he was a really terrific fella to yap with, insightful. And E H. You're sitting there all this off season in your cave watching breaking down these tapes. What all we heard about was that. The NFL defenses are going to solve the pistol in the offseason. Do you see any evidence that would lead you to believe that that is going to happen? No, I don't. I mean, I, I think you might see a little bit reduced reduction, but some of that is going to come from play calling itself. Wait, it's going to be reduced reduction. I like that kind of reduction. Did I say when reduced I, reduction? I, I meant reduced when, production. When I reduce something, I all, when, I, when, when, I'm, when, when the name of the game is reduction, I like it when, when you reduce it. Shame on you for that. <laughs> Steve Smith also is mocking you. Uh, you just heard that. Go ahead. We, I just had Percy that Harvin, but fire knocked out of my butt. Well, because I bring it up because your NFL power rankings, which always are gangbusters on NFL.com, you have the 49ers at number one, and you have the Seahawks down at number four, and in between you have Brady and Peyton Manning teams there and really that's what determines what you think is going to be in 2013 I guess I know I'm uh, I'm being reductionist if I may steal your word <laughs> but uh, or a variation on it um, is whether or not you think that's going to happen because if you think the defenses will be able to negate that to some degree then the 49ers and Seahawks don't really make much sense as the best teams in the uh, certainly I would say the Packers are stacked up better to be successful if you think that defensive coordinators will solve this. Well, there's a couple things at play here. Number one, no one knew how good RG3 was going to be, so I think you throw out the first half of last season out the window. Second of all, the Seahawks weren't running Russell Wilson as much as they did, say, when he went up. Uh, I believe they played the Bills in Toronto. He had three rushing touchdowns. That was late in the year. And people forget, by the way, that's an interesting footnote to history that people don't remember. Russell Wilson, for the first half of the season at least was absolutely pedestrian they didn't really turn it on right around the time that the Niners put Kaepernick in there they take off so it's a very small window people think what went on all season and nobody solved it it really was more like two months ish of Russell Wilson and and Kaepernick doing what they were doing and carrying him through the playoffs. And then you have the RG3 I, factor. But well, anyway. Th that's right. I mean, when you think about it, Sidney Rice was always hurt. You had a young receiver in Golden Tate. You go with your strength there and you run the football and play defense. That's what the Seahawks did. Uh, lastly, Colin Kaepernick, you kind of have to throw him out the window, too, because he didn't start until they uh, – Alex Smith I think got 11. knocked out. Yeah, so, you know – you, you have to take that with a grain of salt. The other thing is, let's just throw defenses out of it for a second. How about these offensive coordinators? How much are they going to want to put their guys at risk? That's really what this comes down to to me. So if we see reduced production, I don't nice. think you can just say, hey, man, oh, man, these, these edge players, they really learn how to play the pistol. A lot, of, a lot of film time there. Or the offensive coordinator just said, you know what? I really don't want to see my quarterback's knee dangling in the wind. Again, I think – Yoga or no yoga for RG3, I think I'm going to play a little safe. I think that's more likely scenario than defense is figuring out. Either way, 
you're still going to get reduced numbers running the football. And, of course, fantasy numbers, as you and I have to talk about quite a bit. Sassler, how say you? Well, I think it's a good point, especially about the putting your quarterback into the line of danger. I think it's not the next version of the Wildcat. It's not going to be a trend that vanishes because I think what the pistol does when you talk to people that actually coached against it and stuff is it really creates anticipation problems for defenders. Like they have to be prepared for three or four different things happening on every play versus essentially one or two things. And it's it slowed defenses down and like players are going to have to adjust and learn how to play against that, and I, I don't see that going away in one season. Is it as simple as, you know, people sort of said this going into the to the Super Bowl and coming out of it, too. Is it as simple as just, you know, kind of, uh, again, reductionist kind of football, just hit them really hard? That's what the Ravens' strategy was. Belt Colin Kaepernick, that was what you heard going into it, and after it, they said, well, look how they negated him by just uh, by giving him a few licks. It can't be that easy. Well, one th- against the Falcons, Kaepernick ran the ball, I think, twice the whole game, but that running game still caused massive problems for the Falcons because of the threat of the pistol. It's like you could have, you know, the Chris Alt who invented it in Nevada said you could have Eli Manning run the pistol because what it does for your running game is sensational in terms of how it creates confusion for the defense. It's not just about running your quarterback in an option situation. That's right. All you need, really, is a half second to a second of delay. Make the guy think. That's why 40 times are a bunch of bunk. Because when you have a linebacker who has good instincts, I'd rather have a linebacker with good instincts than a linebacker that runs a 4-5. Because they, they read the play. It gives that sense of, what are they doing here? And, and that's a little bit of a problem. But, uh, and I don't want to spin it back too much fantasy, but, you know, Dave, all these people that saw Kaepernick run for 183 against the Packers and they think, oh, there's my first pick next year. Well, good luck seeing Kaepernick do that week in and week out with not only defenses, as you referenced, refer, uh, preparing for that, but how much is the 49ers offensive coordinator going to want to put his quarterback at risk, especially without an Alex Smith, you know, to back him up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's also a fair point. Well, you said all these McCoy. teams. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I, you know, I'm not a cold hater like some people. I think are. he's fine. And by the way, I thought that Alex Smith leaving. I know that he wanted to go on, and they and they did him a solid and all that. But and and they de- and they got a decent uh, price for him. They got a very nice price for him. But to your point, it would be that is a essential decision that you make and in fact you know Andrew Luck another kid will be talking to Matt Hasselbeck in in just a second here and he you know who you put in there as the backup I guess that's old news even if you have a Peyton Manning type or a Tom Brady who you have at the backup interesting to note though the Colts and the I mean I'm sorry the uh, Patriots and Broncos both terribly deficient it would appear at that uh, position if the I mean the Patriots are unwilling to probably give up Ryan Mallett for that reason but Brock Osweiler, is he really going to make the difference? If, uh... Well, they talked about putting Osweiler out. I think you wrote this story, Dan. But Peyton Manning final... never lets anybody else take a snap in practice. It's the most self. People always talk about Tom Brady. Hey, he took the he takes the the salary cap hit, and of course that's a little bit that math is a little bit funky because yeah. he's not really giving up any money. But either way, the most selfish deed of all is Peyton Manning <laughs> never allowing anybody in practice <laughs> to take a snap but him. How would Brock Osweiler? Oh, the 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 bump Curtis Painter was so bad for the Colts. Well, listen, what he didn't have a fighting chance. He never got a never got a chance to take a snap. 
crap in practice all those years behind the guy. We almost made it through an entire episode without any Peyton Manning no, character I'm just making a point. That's hey, a, <laughs> you, I'm circling back. Do you want the worst quarterback triumvirate of yes. all time? Yeah, that one. All right. How about that Colts team without that's Peyton Manning? Yeah, that's at. pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Curtis Peyton, well, Painter, Dan Orlovsky, and Kerry Collins, late period. I have some nominees here for you guys. I'm going to go uh, uh, second runner-up, the 85 Bills before Jim Kelly. Vince Ferragamo on his very last mm. NFL leg. Bruce Matheson. And one saving grace, they did have a Frank Reich who had never thrown a pass before. Okay, <laughs> He's then, a rookie, or he's a second-year guy, yeah, right? Yeah, right. For, actually, that's his rookie year. First, uh, first runner-up, you guys will love this one. How about the 2001 quartet of uh, Dallas Cowboys? Ryan Leaf. Oh. Quincy Carter. Ouch. Anthony Chad Wright. Hutchins? Oh, no. No, it was the year before Chad Hutchinson, which you can rival the 2002 team. Uh, no, Clint Sterner. <laughs> uh, from uh, from uh, Arkansas, who famously, Clint Sterner against Tennessee, the year they win the national championship. Clint Sterner fumbled the ball. Remember that? The, the, he, he, he tried to balance himself in the backfield, and he put the ball on the ground, and it counted as a fumble. But I don't understand. Why isn't that ball down in college football? When you fall down, when you, if you put the ball on the ground, it should be down. Tennessee should not have won that national championship is my point. Anyway, continue. We liked his athleticism. We were going to uh, – Clint Sterner. We're going to try to convert him to that. How would he make an NFL team? It seems like a really bad idea back. to put Quincy Carter and Ryan Leaf on the same team. Oh, together. man. Okay. You know, that'll the, be fine. Now, the worst one – now, I realize a lot of listeners aren't going to know who these guys are, but that's kind of the point, right? The old ball coach, Steve Spurrier, Jim Hazlett. Oh, down man. This has, got, this has got to be a gem. Steve Spurrier was the starting quarterback of your – Expansion, 1976 bucks. His backup was Parnell Dickinson. And the third-string quarterback was former Steeler Terry Hanratty. Oh. That's their and, – and get this. The 76 bucks, okay, their quarterback I crew. I know Terry Hanratty. <laughs> toiled like great that. Name. As a team, as a team, their passer rating was 49.4. <laughs> With nine touchdowns and 20 interceptions, they didn't even complete 50% of their passes. And their rating wouldn't even have been that high if it wasn't for the fact that somehow, miraculously, they converted four halfback passes. So, so, <laughs> Ricky, pretty good. so they had some four. They threw four long balls, though either the wide receivers or running backs. And by the way, those 76 bucks went 0-14. They scored 125 points in 14 games, and they allowed 412 um. Wow. That's that's pretty good. I, I think you you've uh, really given us. I, I I don't know that a lot have slipped through the cracks there. That's a pretty good one. All right. E H an impressive list. No stone unturned there. We got to get the proper. We uh, if we missed anything though, hashtag DDFP, and um and uh, let us know if there uh, there are any. But that is a pretty uh pretty bleak list. It should uh, boost your spirits, Hanzoos, yeah, going into bit. 2013. Just a Misery little. loves company. Um, all right, listen. Now, this is a bad transition to make, though, because Matt Hasselbeck is a good quarterback, and so is Andrew Luck. But I did speak with Matt Hasselbeck a little while ago, so let's hear my conversation with him. All right, here he is, everybody. He's the latest addition to the Indianapolis Colts. And, of course, you watched him for many moons with the Seattle Seahawks and the Tennessee Titans. It's Matt Hasselbeck. What's the poop, fella? Talk to me before we get into some football here. Talk to me about the good work you're doing with the End It movement. 
Yeah, Tuesday, April 9th is uh, the End It Movement's big day of raising awareness. We're asking people to draw a red X on their hand or, uh, you know, just as a conversation starter, just shine a light on the fact that there are 27 million people that are living in slavery today. Uh, it's a number that is just ridiculously too high. It's actually just, uh, to me, just kind of just embarrassing that this is going on on our watch in our lifetime, and we're not doing anything about it, or we're not doing enough about it. There are... Uh, uh, seven organizations under the End It movement that are doing something about it, that are uh, trying to eradicate human trafficking. We're trying to change the fact that there are men, women, and children every day that are being sold into slavery. Uh, every two minutes a child is sold into slavery. That's two million kids a year. Um, that's where we come up with the estimated number of 27 million. And it's just... Um, you know, people feel like, well, what can I do? Uh, well, tomorrow is the day of awareness. So I mentioned the thing about the hand and the red X, but uh, you can post a, a status update on Facebook. You can tweet about it. You can Instagram it. You can make a Vine. I mean, there's whatever you can do in social media. And people think, well, I can't, I can't change the world. I'm just one person with, I got 25 followers. Well, you can change your world. You can tell those 25 people. And maybe they, you know, I, and it's really my firm belief that, um, once you go to enditmovement.com and watch this one or two minute video, uh, you'll be changed. And like once you know, like indifference is not an option. It's no longer a choice. Um, you need to do something about it. And right now, we're just asking everybody on Tuesday to raise your voice and just tell your sphere of influence. Tell the people that you know um, about this. All right. Well, good stuff there. I will absolutely do that. I also have to, uh, when I'm on the computer, I'm going to email my mother because it's her birthday. So, But I will definitely tweet that out uh, as soon as I uh, get done with that personal business. Speaking of personal business, Matt Hasselbeck, you are now with the Indianapolis Colts. And are you preparing yourself for this new era of NFL football? Are you getting ready to run the pistol and start uh, running a little bit yourself? Well, I am actually running a lot more. Uh, mm. there's, there's two quarterbacks on the Indianapolis Colts roster. I looked up there 40 times. They're really fast. So I better get my butt going. Uh, I start there in a week. So uh, I'm getting ready to work out with those guys and, uh, and hopefully fit into what they're doing. We're running an offense up there that is, I think, what Andrew Luck ran in college at Stanford. And so I've seen a few Stanford games uh, back when I was at, uh, in Seattle. I'd see all those late-night Pac-12 games. And so uh, – I know what they do just a little bit. So, uh, yeah, that's probably a part of it. Hopefully not a big part because I do a lot better throwing than I do running. But, uh, but I'm excited to, you know, get started with a, with a new team and, and a new offense. It should be a, uh, a challenge, but it's a challenge that I'm looking forward to. Well, uh, yeah, well, I've seen Andrew Luck play, too. He had a nice rookie season. But you have a lot more touchdown passes over the course of your career than he has. How likely is it, Matt Hasselbeck, opening day starter? Hmm, I would say uh, probably not likely, hmm. um, but that's, you know, really, I think uh, no matter what, no matter who you are on a team, you've got to prepare to play, but I am looking forward to uh, just being around Andrew. He's a great player. He's obviously had a great uh, start to his career. Um, you know, if I can help improve uh, anything that, that he has going on, I think that would be, uh, you know, make me feel good. I think it would probably be a good thing for him, but uh, he's off to a great start, and I'm happy to uh, join him. What do you think about, uh, we've, we, we saw it all last year, it's one of my favorite subjects right now, is uh, at the tail end of last season we heard a lot of talk that over the summertime all the league's defensive coordinators would solve the pistol. What about that? Where do you come down? Do you think that that is something that's solvable to at least marginalize what we see Kaepernick and Russell Wilson and RG3 and all those guys uh, going into this coming season? Yeah, I don't think the pistol is something that's necessarily that new. It's just a lot of people did it with success this year. 
uh, even when I was back in Seattle, I remember the Tennessee Titans, ironically, with Vince Young. They did the pistol, like, a lot. I mean, a lot. And so um, it, it's something that you saw in the playoffs. It got a lot of attention in the playoffs. The 49ers used it well. Uh, there were several teams that used it well. And so, um, you know, I think it's there. It's going to be a small part. Uh, I related a little bit more closely to, like, the Buddy Ryan defense that he had with the 85 Bears. Very, very good defense, but at the end of the day, it's about good players also. And so when I play a game, you know, in the last 10 years when I've played a game, people will jump into that Buddy Ryan defense somewhere between two and ten times a game and just to see if you have a plan for it. And I, that's hmm. probably my guess on the pistol and about the read option and that kind of thing. There's a place for it. Everyone will have a package, and you'll have to kind of prove that you spent the time to uh, – you know, to prepare for it in a sense. Um, Matt, I, I, I have to ask you about this because I get a ton of tweets from Seattle Seahawks fans. I'm a Pittsburgh Steeler guy. I make no bones about it. That's your funny. memories, your memories of uh, of Super Bowl 40, which a lot of people you may have heard up in the Pacific Northwest refuse to acknowledge as a Steelers victory. <laughs> well, unfortunately, the Steelers did win the game, uh, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, my, my memory is that it was a special year for our team. We had a great season. We had a bunch of guys that, uh, you know, our, our best players had their best year and guys that no one was really counting on had their best year. We played awesome the whole year until the last game of the year. We didn't play our best. And uh, there are reasons that we lost focus and kind of uh, got outside of ourselves and maybe tried a little too hard and, and uh, you know, didn't play our best. But the truth of the matter is we didn't make plays that we needed to make to win the game. And, and um you know, it's just something that we got to live with now. And uh, fortunately for me, I feel like my career is not over, so I still have that opportunity. But I know when I meet up with my, my friends and teammates that were on that 2005 uh, Seahawks team with me, it's, uh, it's always going to be there. It's always going to be there. Very similar to the, the 1993 high school football team that, uh, that I had that we lost to Brockton High School in the state championship. Uh, when I see those guys from Zavarian Brothers High School, uh, that game will forever be there. It's a game we feel like we could have won and we didn't, and uh, no different with Super Bowl Forty. Um, and uh, and last thing for you is those Seattle Seahawks. You wore that blue uniform, but now they have a different color blue. Which one's better? I actually wore all the uniforms. I wore that uh, that Jim Zorn, uh, Steve Largent uniform. Did you? That one's the best. I was not a fan of the cut of the uniform. Uh, like the jersey, how it fit and all that, but uh, but the colors, I think those are the, you know, really some of the best uniforms that uh, the NFL's ever had. Yeah, it's probably true. Although I will say, you've now moved to your best uniform yet, at least in my opinion. That Colts uniform's hard to beat. Are you a fan of the uh, black cleats or the white cleats? I go black cleats. Okay, so you're kind of a Johnny U guy. That's right. Okay, I respect that. I respect that. <laughs> but, of course, your old man wore the best uniform of them all, the Pat the Patriot look uh, way back when. That's a great uniform, the old school. I was never a fan of the white face mask that went with it. I kind of like the gray face mask. But, uh-huh. Um, big fan of the Patriots. The only problem was they weren't as good uh, with that uniform. They really became good with that, that new Patriots logo, so... Um, but I do, I do like uh, when they have to wear the throwbacks. Yeah, it really is a philosophical conundrum that all their success has come in that worse uniform, but you can't really reverse back to the days when they weren't as successful. It's tough to yeah. think about. We'll have to figure it out at a later date. But Matt Hasselbeck, thanks so much for the time. Good luck with the Colts. And, uh, and April 9th, everybody get out there for the End It movement, right? Yes, thanks. Appreciate it. Sure thing, man. Day, oh, damn, I 
Nice fella, and who knew he was so knowledgeable about uniforms? I like a guy who appreciates a. He really he understands the the. I, I the only thing I disagree with him on is the Patriots white face mask look kind of nice, but the gray face mask even better. But I think the white face mask should be on the Cleveland Browns. I think the I think the Vikings, the Chiefs, the Browns. And the Colts should all have white face masks. Ironically, the Browns and Colts are two of the few teams that wear the gray. The Steelers, conversely, should wear the gray because it's the color of steel, and they're named the Steelers. And they should wear black shoes, too. That's are my you thought. Serious? I am being serious. <laughs> I, I am being serious. Well, I feel like the Steelers have finally made some uh, money as an organization. They could potentially get a decal to put on the other side of the helmet at this Creep. point. I don't know, you can make Whoa. your jokes all you want. That's the coolest thing in Says in the guy with no decals. Oh, fair enough. The, <laughs> the one on the side is unique, therefore cool. It's unique. It's also very distracting and strange. And we, you know... All right, suit yourself. I, th- I think we'll stick with the way we've done it. Don't you think on uh, on Hasselbeck, you know, I love what fantasy has brought to the game, but because he's never been a big fantasy quarterback, that this generation of fans doesn't really think much of his career, and he's actually had a really solid NFL well, career. like he was saying on the in the interview there, that Seattle team really, you know, history would regard him completely differently. And, you know, as a Steeler guy, I don't know if it's the calls or whatever, but, I mean, that game was much closer than – I I don't care what people say about the calls. I really don't. But, I mean, I, I, that doesn't take away from me. I You know, listen, there were – I legitimately can go through each of those calls and, doesn't and make Doesn't mean Seattle would have won the game, that's for sure. No, it doesn't. But the Seattle is in that game, and, you know, they're, the thing that really stands out about that from the Steelers' perspective is a couple of plays – Willie Parker breaks off that run early in the game. I mean, early in the third period, and uh, Randall L throws the touchdown pass. Aside from that, I mean, the, 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 there are a couple of plays the Steelers make, but the but the Seahawks were really kind of having their way. They could absolutely have beaten the steel the Pittsburgh Steelers to win a Super Bowl, and then Matt Hasselbeck certainly would be getting his kudos. But see, he's still classy about it, and I like to hear that. Um, Black tie. Let's wrap it up with your shout out. It's time for Black Tie Shoutouts. I like to give a shout-out to... Put a shout-out to... I just want to give a shout-out to you. All right, guys, shout-out this week. I'm going to go with, you guys know the Allstate commercials, the Mayhem commercials, not the one with uh, President David Palmer in it, the one with, uh, I believe his name is Dean Winters. He's the guy from 30 Rock. Joe Boo. Yeah. What do you call him that? All right, so my, Serrano, Pedro, Pedro Serrano, Serrano, not yeah. Joe Boo. Joe Boo's friend, Pedro <laughs> Serrano. Right. Either way, so my shout out is to the actual the idea man for those commercial series because, as you guys know, it's all about mayhem, all the things that could go wrong, so they can buy insurance, and you have to be really cynical, and as a result, probably paranoid, always thinking about stuff that could go wrong that right. could cause mayhem to get people to buy insurance. So my shout out is going to go to him because. Like I said, that's that's just tough to do because it's tough to sit in your home and just and be aware of the fact that your hot water heater could just explode out of the roof. So is this tough. A, this is a shout out to a millionaire ad wizard. It is, it is, because he might be he might have all that money, but he might be extremely proud. Wait a second, your, your message, your message today. So the podcast starts today with Black Tie upset that a team of plucky um, uh, upperclassmen overcome the athleticism of some ringers that are going to go to the NBA. You don't no, like that. No, no, no. Time out, time you out. You didn't like that. that. Was, 
neither team really had high-end NBA talent. That's my point. But the team that won definitely didn't If have you're it. a lottery pick, then I think you count as potentially high-end NBA talent. Trey Burke right? is the only lottery pick in that game. He was That is not true. And he wouldn't he wouldn't be in a regular draft. Like yeah, TD, you right. do realize that the man you've described is listening to this podcast in like a cream-colored Porsche. <laughs> <laughs> Black tie. I disagree. By the way, Mitch McGarry is a lottery pick, so that's one. Uh, that's another if he one. Goes, for you. If he goes, but mainly based on potential. Big Dog Robinson's kid is a lottery pick. I don't know. He's on. He's on a bubble. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But he's eighteen or nineteen. He's not. Uh, well, they project them out. He could have be. He could have. Uh, all right. It's a weak draft. The point is, <laughs> shout out to. Like I said, so you're down paranoid. on hard work in Louisville, kids who, who who stuck through it and pulled it through in the in the hottest of hot moments, and then you hail the cynical, <laughs> the guy who, who the guy who alerts mankind to all the potential the pitfalls mi- out the mi- there the mi- because he's trying to generate business. The mind is a crazy place, you know. Just well, that's true. I don't know what point that has to do with anything. Just but. because you're making money off your ideas does not mean it doesn't haunt you at night. <laughs> this one was what right this is this is your weirdest one. It's inexplicable. You're hailing a guy who is trading on our fears, on our worst fears, in the name of generating business. And we're and we're and we're lauding this. I think it's a shout out to the man that has everything but also nothing. Is that what you're going for? This? <laughs> Pretty much, yes. He's making all that money, but you don't know what it's like in his own mind. It's you really about know. the duality of man. This is like feeling sorry for Christina Hendricks' uh, husband. Fair. <laughs> all right, well, listen. That's it. We've covered a fair amount of soil here. EH, a pleasure to see you. Sessler, less so, but a pleasure nonetheless. Okay. And Hanzoos. You've been, I was going to say you're our anchor, or you've been an anchor, but that connotes the wrong sort of thing. You have not been Ooh. reductionist at all here. <laughs> we have not reduced anything with your presence, and uh, in fact, it's been enhanced. Thank and you. happy birthday again to Mo Damashek. And coming up, what do we have black tie later this week? We have a couple good guests coming. We have Joe, Joe Staley. Staley. Oh, I met him at the Super Bowl. He seems like a peach of a guy. And, yes, the great uh, tackle of the 49ers. We also had Denver Broncos linebacker Von Miller. But I said had because doing this podcast, as we were taping, I got a call saying, no, we might not have him anymore. Oh, no. So, I was looking forward I was, to that. That's why I was furious behind a glass. I wasn't listening to I wanted to, to talk guys. to was... him. I heard that, yeah, because <laughs> I wanted to talk to him about the, uh, the best glasses-wearing players in sports history. Bob Greasy. Jabbar. Uh, uh, Tom, what was his name? Hume, the uh, the uh, closer for the Jays. Tom Hankey. Tom, Tom, Tom Hankey. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Chris Sabo. Tom Hankey. Oh, Chris Sabo. No, those Reggie were goggles. Those were the special Is that goggles. A, oh, yeah. Reggie, Reggie did wear glasses. Yeah. He wore proper glasses. Yeah. Very, it was very Kurt late Rambis. 70s, early 80s. So did uh, Bull Durham. Leon Durham Didn't, wore glasses uh, out there. Didn't help him in the it? NLCS. Back in '84, was it uh, Ken Phelps wore glasses, designated hitter, yes. power yeah. hitter? Yeah, and, uh, there was another DH. I feel like Mario Mendoza, as a matter of fact, wore glasses. So wait a second. Yeah, that's right. Do, do we count? Um, so we not we don't count Kareem and yes, no. James Worthy, the kid from Wichita State this year had some interesting little <laughs> glass. They had some black horn rims going there too. And a Chuck Muncie. Chuck Muncy, <laughs> I'm ashamed of myself that I would forget the great running back of the Saints and Chargers. Anyone else that we're forgetting? 
fictional character Ricky Vaughn from Major League. Yeah. Callback to was it uh, was it Lazinski or Ron Kittle? One of the White Sox Kittle. DHs wore maybe it was Kittle wore. Uh, wasn't just Ken Phelps in the eighties. Yeah, Definitely the, the Hanson yeah, bro- the uh, the Hanson brothers in Slapshot. Black guy's going crazy and behind the glass. He really wants us to wrap it up. Show I just wanders just off the tracks into a prairie land. All right, listen. A pleasure to see everybody. Elliot Harrison's uh, his power rankings, his draft needs as you as we approach the draft here. You'll be in New York City, actually, right? I will with oh, you doing have, the NFL draft extra. You, me, and Bucky. Oh, we're gonna have and, a gay uh, old time. Yeah, and I feel a little guilty about. Uh, knocking Christina Hendricks's uh, guy. No, I do. Yeah, he's, a little. I mean, it's it's, it's like fifty fifty at best that he's listening to it right now. <laughs> Hanzoosh, you'll be there. I will be there watching oh, you guys. What a great camera. time we're gonna have in Sessler. You won't be. There. I will not. All right. Well, they've done the right thing. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and of course, around the league, always your source for all the breaking uh, football related news. And uh, so we'll be back with at least Joe Staley. Who knows? Maybe Von Miller. Later in the week. In the meantime, though, thanks so much, football fans. It's been a thin slice of heaven. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain unlimited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Are you looking to build this year? If so, there is no better time than right now to start planning and to get your spot on the construction schedule. If you need a garage, a stall barn, a storage for vehicles, RV, boat, collectibles, or even a, a shop for your farm, hobbies, or car restoration projects, visit mortonbuildings.com and start your construction process with superior materials craftsmanship best in class warranty morton buildings are made to last for generations at morton the difference is in the details from their cutting edge innovations to their craftsmen in the field they are dedicated to surpassing expectations their legacy of excellence spans more than 120 years and morton buildings is 100% employee-owned with more than a quarter million satisfied customers. That means they're the industry leader you can trust. When you choose Morton, you'll experience quality at every step of the building process, starting before the walls even go up. Visit mortonbuildings.com to get started today. 